BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, welcome to System Reboot, a podcast from Gizmodo, where we dive into the systems that are failing us and explore realistic opportunities to create something better. I'm Alex Kranz. Senior Consumer Tech Editor at Gizmodo. And I'm Brian Kahn, the Managing Editor at Earther. And today, we're going to talk about the issue of broadband deserts. Yeah, yeah. These are like the places where there's no internet, right? Like like a desert, a regular like desert. The Sahara. Yeah, desert to water. This is for internet. Correct. Yeah, it's the Sahara of internet access, essentially. Exciting, exciting. And it sounds like there's actually some... We were talking about this beforehand. It sounds like there's some really big broadband deserts in the United States because we are an enormous country with a lot of people spread on big distances and ISPs never want to spend money to get all those people connected to the internet. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty shocking to me, honestly, to read about how many people don't have access to internet. You and I are fairly lucky here in New York. Like, yeah. My internet's not great, but at least I have access to it. Um, you know, we were looking up earlier... Michigan is a state that has 1.2 million people that don't have access to high-speed internet, which in 2020, like, boggles my mind. Boggles my mind that it's Michigan. Because, like, I grew up in Texas. I'm very used to hearing about people not having internet because everybody I know is in Texas or Colorado. These places that I think of as being, like, rural. But Michigan, I always think of, like, Detroit, which I guess is not having a great time. But it's still, like, a very urban... It's a city. Yeah, it's a city. It feels like there's a lot of cities there. There's a lot of stuff. It should be easy for everybody... To have their internet. That's not the case. And I think that that's why, you know, we want to talk about how to fix this stuff. And so today we thought we'd bring in somebody that actually has, uh, well, they create a whole plan on how to fix the broadband deserts and ultimately focusing on the idea that we could maybe actually do this so that it's a public good for everyone to access. Yeah, we're going to be talking with physician, author, educator, activist, Abdul El Sayed. He is a former gubernatorial candidate in Michigan. He ran a really progressive platform. He was endorsed by Bernie Sanders and AOC, two people you may have heard of, who have some ideas about how to fix America. And Abdul also has some ideas that we want to talk to them about, particularly when it comes to the internet. You know, it's pretty amazing. Like his back, I don't know how he does all these things, to be honest. He ran for governor. He's done so, so much. And he just wrote a book, which is called Healing Politics, A Doctor's Journey into the Heart of Our Political Epidemic. He also hosts a podcast, America Dissected by Crooked Media, and I think he's going to be fantastic to talk to because he's got this really, really great insight into how this affects people from a from the physician standpoint. But he also really understands how much sucky Internet sucks. I think that, you know, it's great to hear that somebody can understand how much it sucks and also how to fix it. And so I think that that's yes. what we should uh, probably get to. Let's talk to him about it. Hey, Abdul. Thanks for joining us with System Reboot. Nice to have you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, you know, today what we really wanted to talk about was uh, something that I think, you know, we've all experienced the the downsides of, you know, a lot of people working on the internet in this current era of the pandemic. And we want to talk about, you know, some solutions, particularly this idea of the internet as a place for the public and the infrastructure is something for the public. And, you know, we want to talk with you about that. And I guess I'm just kind of curious. I mean, can you sort of help 
you know, make this case initially. What is it about a public internet that's so important? Yeah, well, uh, th- th- there's a couple of things. You know, we, we um, early on in the in the history of the internet, we used to call it the information superhighway. Remember those those quaint days? Ah, uh, yes. Um, and even then, it was like an internet two lane road, right? Because that was <laughs> that was back when your internet made noises when you tried to jump on it. Um, and the metaphor, though, is is quite appropriate. It is the information superhighway. Now, back in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, particularly in the Eisenhower administration, there was a recognition that roadways were really important and that in a world that was quickly moving to be transported by car, which is probably a terrible mistake, but but that's the way it was going. We're doing uh, it. And we take credit for that here in, here in Michigan. Um, thank you, thank you. <laughs> They, they made a decision to pave many, many highways so people could get around. And that was a public project, public dollars, paving uh, public roads that people could then use. Um, the, the notion that we should not be publicly investing in internet, um, I think, you know, belies the, the, the fact that this is so critical. And especially now in a pandemic, we realize how much we are reliant on uh, high quality internet. And if you're a child in a rural community where the corporations that we leave to uh, their profit motive to provide this basic infrastructure doesn't want to invest because they don't think they're going to reap the reward. Or if you're a kid in an urban community where internet's just too expensive and your family can't afford it, you are now behind. You are traveling the gravel road of, <laughs> of the information way and it's putting you behind. And so we have a responsibility to equity, uh, but also to recognizing that public goods need to be invested in by the public and the internet is a public good. And this is the time where I think we need to be making these investments as this COVID-19 pandemic has shown us. Yeah, it's really interesting who you invoke the idea of a, a superhighway and talk about the highways that exist. Because I think a lot of folks, they think about, you know, public utilities or good work and sort of that idea of rural electrification is one of those things that folks sort of use as a touch point. But I think uh, the highway in some ways sounds like maybe a almost a more apt comparison since we, we do need the internet to get around nowadays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the other part of the notion of a highway, right, is that we sometimes think about internet simply as a ratepayer function, right? I want this kind of internet and I pay X amount for it every month. But we forget that there is actually a basic infrastructure, a touchable thing that has to be laid in order for you to get to the internet. And that overhead is actually the bigger issue here. And so, you know, so one way to think about it is sort of like a highway with tolls, right? It's it's one thing to have a toll road where you have to pay per use, but the only reason you can pay per use is because the highway even exists. And what we're talking about right now, oftentimes in rural communities, is that it needs to exist. Somebody needs to go and needs to lay that broadband or that cable or whatever the latest and greatest technology is. Forgive me, I'm a doctor. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but somebody needs to go lay that, right? So that so that somebody can even pay the rates that are needed. And then we need to be thinking about what is a fair rate and how do we potentially subsidize that rate so that it's equitable uh, and that folks can even get on. So I guess, how does that work? Because, you know, I, I I did grow up in a rural community and like my first internet was radio towers stuck on top of a grain elevator, like three miles <laughs> wow. away. And anytime they mean? would... How does that yeah, work? It was, it was these microwave dishes and they would pipe the internet through. And so like anytime they were harvesting the hay from this one field, they would kick up dust. And then I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to play World of Warcraft. I'd be out there crying because everybody else is raiding. And I'm like, I'm sorry, they're harvesting wheat or something in the South field. I'll get back to y'all in an hour and a half when the dust has settled. 
But like those guys, I, you know, I got to know them because I was a nerd and I wanted to know where my internet was coming from. And it was just like these couple of guys and they had leased internet from somebody else. And those people had leased it Mm. from somebody else. And that was, there was this whole infrastructure to it that's completely privatized. Mm -hmm. So are you, are you proposing like right now? I think the big push is, well, let's just give those guys who already have a ton of our money even more of our money so they can figure out the best way to do it? Or are you saying, no, they've, they've screwed up? I'm saying, no, they've screwed up. And also when you leave it to the devices of a corporation that is only interested in doing a thing so it can make money, it's not going to do a thing in a place where it may not make money. And, you know, the cost of laying the, the, the basic tangible infrastructure for internet is a fixed cost. And, the reason that it gets laid in more densely populated communities is because they know they're going to reap the benefit of that because they laid it. Right. And in more rural communities, you just don't have the density. And so, you know, the the function of the, the cost versus the potential product just doesn't make sense for them to lay it. And this is a real problem because, you know, while that system originated in a moment when the internet was not ubiquitous and it truly was a luxury good, We are now in an era in 2020 when the internet is not a luxury good. The internet is definitively necessary to be able to live your life. And in that case, there is a real responsibility for government to recognize the public good that is the existence of broadband that functions in rural communities like the one you grew up in and seek to then address it. And I I think that that investment in laying that groundwork actually should be governments. And and to to my mind, I actually think, you know, this follows a very similar pattern to what we saw with electrification, uh, phone lines, et cetera. You know, originally all of these technologies were uh, luxury goods, right? If you were rich Mm -hmm. enough, you could have it, but you didn't necessarily need it uh, because of the MO of society didn't incorporate it into everything that we did. Right. But now, right, like the phone, like electricity, these aren't just luxury goods. If you don't have them, your kid is behind. Uh, you are behind and you're excluded from so many of the basic things that all of us take for granted uh, in 2020 in America. And so, you know, now I think the government has a real mandate to step in and ought to be thinking bigger picture also about regulating a lot of the other corporations that provide these goods because, you know, sometimes they're doing them in ways that may be deeply inequitable. I'm Danielle Belton, Editor-in-Chief of The Root. And I'm Maisha Kai, Managing Editor of The Glow Up. And this September, we're excited to bring you The Root Presents It's Lit. It's Lit is a podcast where we talk about all things literature, literally. More specifically, Black literature. And we have some incredible guests lined up, including Nicole Hannah-Jones. The last thing I want is us to produce anything like the Green Books. <laughs> Ijoma Alu. Why this book? <laughs> you know, why aren't we why aren't we all picking up the how to burn down the system book? You know, like why can't we do that right now? The venerable Claudia Rankin. I can't really separate the subject out from the structure. And the two things for me are actually what makes writing exciting. And so many more brilliant Black authors, writers, and thought leaders. We're speaking with some of the most distinguished voices in Black literature about their work, the books that influence them, and a lot more. So please join us every Friday for some thought-provoking conversations. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And keep it lit. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop.
I mean, so I'm wondering, you, know, you mentioned that there, you know, we really do need internet. And I mean, certainly, you know, as a writer on the internet, that's, that's, that's it for me. I, I write on the internet. Um, and we see it now with schools going back that kids can't go to school without the internet, like literally could not attend school. There was a picture that went viral, you know, I guess in late August of, of students dancing at Taco Bell to steal Wi-Fi or to get Wi-Fi. They shouldn't <laughs> have to steal it, right? They shouldn't just be able to access it at home um, to attend school. And so, you know, I'm wondering if like, I think about those examples of school, and I also think about you, you know, as a doctor. Um, telehealth is a new thing that's become more and more of a thing that we rely on. And so I'm wondering if you can just talk about you know, how an idea of public internet could help people try and seek these other basic services that we really need. Right. Um, you know, now that the Internet of Things has not just become an interesting conversation point, but actually has become a real source of providing basic goods and services to people, you know, internet is not just a means for being able to play World of Warcraft, which is it, of course, is an very important, important. Way to play World Crucial. of Warcraft, which many would agree is a need. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> but but it, it also means you know, are you able to consume your lesson for the day? It also is, are you able to see a psychiatrist uh, if you're in crisis? Are you able to talk to a cardiologist without having to drive two hours? to actually see one. And I'll be honest with you, right? One of the big crises in this American moment is the fact that we have largely forgotten uh, rural communities, right? They're, especially, and I'll say this, especially on the left, we over-optimize sometimes to, uh, to a city and an urban environment or even a suburban environment. But we forget that a lot of folks living in rural America have been entirely forgotten by public infrastructure. And then when we hear, we're here making the argument for public infrastructure, folks are saying, well, that stuff has never served me in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because if I've got to drive two hours to see a doctor, right, if I've got to drive two hours to be able to uh, even get to the nearest, you name the store, and if the internet in my community doesn't work, how am I going to believe that this thing that you want to tax me for is actually going to come in and benefit me? And so, you know, th this moment, I think, is a tipping point, particularly in COVID-19, when we can't congregate in the ways that uh, we used to be able to solve a lot of these problems, that we're realizing the critical need of the internet to deliver basic resources that can be uniquely delivered by the internet uh, in a moment like this. Yeah, I mean, it's the town square, it's the doctor's office, it's it's basically everything now. Um, it's the lifeline to the outside world. So completely understandable. And I, I think, you know, I think it's sort of wild is that we're talking about this as like a sensical, yeah, it's a public good, it is a basic human right. And yet there are states that actually don't allow for publicly owned broadband networks. And I, I find that mm. just sort of staggering to think about because it seems like a no-brainer nowadays, but that's not the case. And I wonder, you know, is it just, is this simply effective? you know, internet service providers having a little too much power? Is that the, is that the basic play here? You know, the, the, the sad truth of it is that, unfortunately, too often when you think about the provision of public goods, they are barred legally because the corporations that are both simultaneously failing to provide them and also worried about the government stepping in to provide them are leveraging their heft to lobby for policies that then suspend the status quo. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the internet, right? Think about, think about healthcare. It's a perfect example of this. You have rural hospitals shutting down all over the country. And at the same time, these same hospital and insurance systems that quote unquote provide healthcare 
are lobbying against solutions to being able to address that. So they're saying, we, we can't make money on this, and yet we want to make sure that the government doesn't provide it either. And herein lies, I think, one of the biggest challenges in American public policy right now is that we've allowed corporations to get so big and so powerful that they can both fail to provide a solution to a problem, fail to sell their product, and also stop the government from providing the product too. Yeah, it's it's super spectacular. <laughs> it's not spectacular at all. No, I think it's it's really terrible. I keep thinking because I did grow up in a rural area. I do still have a lot of friends in those areas, and one of them is like out there, and she says, "Oh, I'm gonna have to homeschool my kids, right?" Like, mm. and it's not, "Oh, I'm they're gonna remote learn." There's just no remote learning infrastructure in place because they already have to drive 45 minutes just to get groceries. Like, they're already driving 45 minutes just to go to school. They're not gonna add, nobody's got internet out there. So she's like, okay, well, I have to completely change my life and learn to be a teacher because otherwise my kids are just gonna have really weird accents and only talk about ca- roping cattle. Um, which is Or she can very... have them call you and you guys can talk about World of Warcraft. You can just yeah, walk them yeah, through it. Yeah, Well, no, <laughs> they can't play video games. They can't very play, important. but they, they, yeah, they, they can just play. know that you played. Yeah, they'll be like, okay, tell me tell me everything you can about these blood elves and stuff. Just like just look, wait until the 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 dust on the south field clears and you may have 30 minutes of the, World of Warcraft. That time. little window in there and then you hop on and as soon as you hop off you have to hop up, back off again. But what can we do? What can those people that that friend of mine who's out there in rural Colorado, these people who are in these rural areas or these people in these urban areas that are also being denied these services and being denied um, this access at like a reasonable rate, what can they be doing besides being really mad on Twitter if they can access Twitter? Yeah, I was going to say, probably can't be very mad on Twitter when you can't have internet, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I think this is this is one of those, um, this is one of those issues that I truly think has real bipartisan potential. And I think it ought to be a central organizing point for folks. Now, even organizing, like access to the uh, the political public square is limited without the internet these days. But the ability to call your representative, the ability to write letters to your representatives, the ability to talk to like-minded folks who are also in the same boat, I just think is really important. And we need to start, I think, beating the drums for a true public internet and, and recognizing that the chief opposition are the people who quote unquote provide internet. And are, you, so, are you saying it's the FCC? Well, I, I mean, I think they have an important role, right? Okay. But, but I also mm-hmm. think that, I also think that, you know, your corporations that, you know, you name the corporation, the Xfinities of the world and the Verizons of the world and, you know, you name them. The um, Optimums. They are the Optimums, whichever, whichever of these, you know, uh, the HughesNet. Non-specific names that, <laughs> that mean something generally good. Uh, that fail to provide internet. You know, we have to build a citizens lobbying movement against them and their power for the provision of this public good that is, you know, truly a 21st century uh, public good. I mean, I wonder, that raises the question, I mean, because again, like here we are talking about this, it sounds great. I mean, there is some opposition to this, right? And I wonder, how do you make the case? And some of that goes back to your idea that you mentioned of of there being, um, you know, this opposition to, the public to government doing anything because, you know, it's never served me or, you know, we've been conditioned over the years since the Reagan era to really think like government can't solve the problem. Um, I mean, how do you start to make that case for a public internet to people? What does it look like? What's the positive sort of, I guess, message to get people on board with it? Besides World of Warcraft. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, the thing that I think is unique about this, right, is that the only people who want to stand in opposition to people having internet tend to be people who think that, that at some point they may be able to make money on those people <laughs> not having internet, right? Right. And what's interesting, and, and what I mean by this being a truly bipartisan potential issue, is that the people most affected by this are rural, who tend to be Republican voters. And Democrats, progressives in particular, tend to be interested in government providing basic resources to people who need it. And so th this truly does have real bipartisan potential because this is, you know, a potentially, a pro it is a progressive policy idea that disproportionately benefits, right, uh, mm -hmm. people in Republican communities. And so m my point is that I think when you can get people on opposite sides of an aisle who usually don't see eye to eye on most issues agreeing on something, oftentimes the opposition has to fall by the wayside. The problem is that we have yet to reach a moment where we all agree that internet is a true public good. You know, we've assented to this idea that it, it's still just a luxury good, right? Having mm -hmm. Wi-Fi in your house is just something, you know, you can go without. But that's just not the case. I mean, I, I also see the same thing with cell phones, right? People argue that, you know, well, having a cell phone is a is a uh, it's just a luxury. Well, you know, in 20, 21st century America, having a smartphone is actually something that you kind of need to be able to navigate the world around you with any degree of equity to most of the people in your society, right? right. And so we've moved on beyond this idea that internet is a luxury that not everybody should have and only those who uh, who have the means should should have earned it. But rather, I think we're in a point now where we have to make the argument in the space that internet is not a luxury good, it is a necessity, it is the information superhighway, and some people just don't have it paved. And our job is to come in and pave it for them so everybody has access to the superhighway. Oh, and it seems like we are also seeing some some corporations are actually on the side of this. Like, I think it was last month that there was a big initiative by Microsoft, okay, that makes sense. They they want to sell you their Xboxes and have you play your friends online. So you need good internet for that. Cargill, who's like a big ag company, and Land O'Lakes. Like Land O'Lakes is leading, the, the butter guys are leading this big initiative to be like, yeah, 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 internet's cool. Like you, you, you know that you don't care, but you want your Facebook to be faster. You want your blurry Netflix to look a little sharper. You want to not have to teach your kids yourself. Isn't this a great opportunity for you? Um, I'm just imagining the Land O'Lakes box and instead of like the food, it's a laptop. It's just an open laptop. Wow. Wow. There's a free marketing idea for Land O'Lakes. Take it away. Just take it. You, that came straight from us. Uh, so what, l last question, I think this is a very important one for our readers. They are listeners, very engaged. Alex, they're listeners. You're they such a writer. started as readers. I know. I'm sorry. This is a very important question for our reader listeners or listeners. Uh, what is something that they, and a lot of them are probably, they might be a little bit more liberal, they might be living in the city, but maybe they're like me and they grew up in the middle of nowhere and lost their internet whenever the wheat was harvested. What can they do? Who should they be talking to, to help? Yeah. Um, so, so, so three comments. First, uh, reader listeners are <laughs> leaders. Oh. Uh, second, um, the interesting point that you made, right, just to, to, to beat the crap out of this, this metaphor of the highway, the people who pushed hardest for the existence of highways were automobile companies. And so if you think about it, right, anyone who wants to sell anything on the internet or anyone who wants to sell you something that helps you get on the internet, 
is a, really interested in you having internet. And so, you know, in this metaphor, right, the manufacturers of, of hardware, of computers and, and smartphones, like they're, the, they're like the automobile manufacturers of, of the 1950s, right? I'm going to make something that allows you to, to, to drive on this paved path, but if you don't have the paved path, you're not going to buy the thing that lets you drive on it. So I really want to sell you this and you better have internet. And, and then, you know, in many cases, I would be decrying Amazon, but like Amazon has a lot to gain by people having this. Um, what can your leaders do? They, I think, can recognize that for a lot of Americans right now, the inaccess to internet is driving the inequities that we see in our society, particularly geographically. And in order to solve it, we have to do everything we can to be able to move information and knowledge out to communities where right now, because of the inaccess to internet, it's just not as available. And I think the same things that folks in rural communities who are directly affected by this, they need to do. Reach out to your representatives. You know, even if you're in the middle of New York City, ask them, why aren't you leading uh, on on public Wi-Fi? Why aren't you leading on investing in internet for folks in our communities who are being charged an arm and a leg and can't afford it? And why are you not leading on an issue that affects so many people? I, I think building that bipartisan consensus I think is going to be really, really important to getting this done. And getting this done is going to be really, really important to a whole generation of kids uh, who need to play World of Warcraft uh, alongside getting their work done in school. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much, you guys. You leaders heard it here. If instead of yelling at us on Kenja about how slow Kenja is being, go ahead and yell at your representatives about how slow the internet is and urge them politely to to help and 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 be leaders on this as well so thank you so much abdul for taking the time and talking with us today it was my privilege thank you for having me Thank you for listening to System Reboot. It's hosted by me, Alex Kranz, and Brian Kahn. Our producer is Michaela Heck, and Jamie Colazzo mixed the episode. Did you like what you heard today? Did you learn some stuff? Was it fascinating? I sure hope so. And if it was, we would love if you would rate and review us because it'll help spread the word and allow other people to find the show. Yeah, and if you have any other questions, feedbacks, thoughts about what you heard today, you can go ahead and tweet us. I'm at Alex H. Kranz. You can tweet me at BL Kahn. And we will see you next week. We'll talk business here. We'll we'll get in the podcast, the pod we'll get zone, the pod zone, Not the pump with zone. Brian it's and the Alex. Oh yeah, let's go! <laughs> All right. Uh, no, no, we're getting we're getting we're being told no by the producers. Sorry, folks. We're gonna have to dial it back. <laughs>